welcome to episode 149 of the Various Sundry Podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is driving three hours this week to another city just to hear me speak, John well, Scott Sloat. Let, let's let's be quite <laughs> frank. Uh, hearing you speak is definitely a, a positive of the trip. Don't get me wrong, but it is not I, – I am going to connect with other individuals. Oh. Some, so, some time to chat. Yeah. Now, I won't be on my phone doing email as some presidents were at our inauguration, but I will be uh, paying attention. But I'm going to connect with other people. Okay. Yeah, I threw, I threw you a curveball, didn't I? You did. I, I, I'm dying to follow up on that, but I'm not sure we should on air. Um. There were some other presidents <laughs> who came to our school. Oh, for, you mean from other institutions? From Drew – for Drew's inauguration. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And – we're on their phones doing email. I'm not surprised by that. And I will not out them here. <laughs> but after the pod, okay. we, can, we can have All a conversation right. about who paid attention and who did not. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, well, when you think about it then, it, in, in one sense, we're actually taking the pod on the road then to Columbus this week. I suppose. In, in an extended sense. Yeah, I suppose. What are you teaching on, by the way? You got uh, a preview for, for us? Yeah, I'm doing um, uh, something I've done somewhere else, uh, a modified version. I, I always like to freshen it up. But it's basically on um, the modern understanding of identity and the image of God. Like basically okay. helping us see how we as contemporary people think about who we are and how – the Bible speaks into that in terms of how we construct our identity and how we understand our identity. Hmm. So, Danny in Ohio going to be there? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. He could be. I'd like to see Danny. Yeah, I think that's probably about an hour-ish drive for him up, that to, sounds uh, up easy. to sea bus. That sounds easy. Oh. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So. so we'll be in Columbus, what, Thursday? Yeah, and and we're actually recording on the day this episode drops which is unusual. Yeah, that Tuesday. is a, that is weird. Yeah. Because of your highly packed schedule as a yeah. uh, very important person in advancement, uh, we were unable to record yesterday. I'm just always on the move. Always. Just, just headed to a mover, a shaker, high profile meetings, jet setting, <laughs> yes. all all the things. I'm just I'm just going to. All the things. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. If you'd like to contact the show, you can reach us on Twitter at VNSPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube. And as always, we would love for you to leave a five-star rating and a review. That helps whatever algorithm. It's been a while since we've had a five-star rating and review. It, it has. We would – We'll probably talk about it if it were to happen. If, if you left a good review, we'll talk about it on the pod. Yeah. So if you've yet to leave a five-star rating and review, go ahead and do so now. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about it on air. For real. Yeah, that, that, that's uh... – Most likely. I want to leave myself a little <laughs> wiggle room in case somebody just writes something ridiculous. Yeah, but... that's fair. All right. You ready to talk some sports? Sure. Let's do it.
So you want to you want to start with college football and and the wild crazy world that was college football this weekend. It's part of what makes college football great is um, it the measure of unpredictability. So uh, let's start with the Buckeyes. Um, I watched the second half of this game. Did you see the wind conditions they're playing in? Yes. Yes. Now, I, and I turned it on because it was a close game at halftime. Yeah. Let me let me just say up front, Ohio State played terribly. They still should have won the game by much more than they did, even with uh, constant wind of 30-plus miles an hour and gusts over 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still should have won by more than that. But – you know, it can be a little misleading, I think, to look at that score and go, oh, they only beat Northwestern by two touchdowns. Okay, well, yes, they should have played better. But you go out there and try to throw a football in 30-plus mile-an-hour swirling winds, and uh, we'll see how that works out for you. Anyway, big game of the weekend was Georgia against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Georgia dominated that game, yep. controlled um, it from I watched the first half of beginning that to end. Um. And th- that's no knock on Tennessee. Georgia's just really good. Georgia's a good football team. Yeah. And it was at Georgia. Which is – which brings me to a point I wanted to talk about. This – you had a – what did you call the scenario where two or three – Playoff S- playoff Armageddon. Playoff yeah. Armageddon could take place. And yeah. this was one of the games you predicted would happen, that yes. Georgia would beat Tennessee yeah. and would start the ball rolling. Yeah, but it got derailed. It later got derailed in later yeah. in the day. So, yeah. yes, let's transition to that game. Yes. Uh, so LSU beat Alabama. Did you see that? Any of that game? No, no. I was. I, I know it's a night game. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Anything after dark, I'm just. I'm useless. <laughs> so now that we've had the time change, does that mean you're going to bed at like six o'clock? I wanted to fall asleep at eight thirty last night. It was. <laughs> it was bad. So uh, LSU beat Alabama. That game was at LSU. Tough place to play, and. Um, it, uh, Did it it's knocked Alabama out of the yes college football playoff, yeah. right? Yes, and uh, striking. The, so the game went to overtime, and LSU. So Alabama got the ball first, scored. LSU on their very first play of overtime scores, and they decide we're going for two to win the game. Uh, old riverboat Brian Kelly there, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, they got it, and. Uh, LSU knocks off Alabama. So that 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 takes out one piece of that sort of terribleness. Uh, yeah. Armageddon scenario. It might create some other ones, but uh and shout out to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Yeah, what a world. They exposed Clemson for the fraud that they were. Mm-hmm. And so and they they dominated Clemson. I I expected Notre Dame to win that game. I had such little confidence in Clemson that they were such a fraud, even though they were unbeaten. The ACC is terrible this year. Well, I was about to say that's uh, uh, that's probably showing up that that the ACC is a fraud. They're that it's terrible. that it's that it's just a bad. It's conference a very bad conference in football this year. Uh, so yeah, that that mixed things up. Uh, the college football playoff rankings will release later today. And um, any predictions? I would expect Georgia at one. Uh, I still think Ohio State will hang on to two, mm-hmm. even though they played poorly. I think Michigan will be three. 
and I think uh, TCU will move to fourth. Okay. So um, where you really get into some interesting scenarios with the playoff possibilities down the road is if TCU loses. Uh, if they run the table, they're in because they're they're in the Big Twelve. That's a you know it's a Power Five conference. I think it's a pretty weak conference this sure. year. But not as bad as the ACC, though. Not as bad as the ACC. So theoretically, then you'd have if you if you'd have uh, assuming Georgia wins the SEC championship, uh, which it looks like they will play LSU now, unless LSU falls apart. Yeah. So. Here, again, this is part of the reason why I love college football and why I hate being a college football fan. Every week absolutely matters. You know, if you're an NFL fan, like a great year, if your Jets go 12 and 5, you're going to be through the roof oh, excited. absolutely. But that's five losses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I kind of envy being an NFL fan sometimes where it's like if your team loses, like, eh. That's not the end of the world. Try baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, well, well, let's talk about it, John. I mean, oh my goodness, they shocked the world. They, they indeed shocked the world. Um, so I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday last week. They announced what uniforms the Jets were wearing, and the game was like a ten and a half or eleven point spread in favor of the Bills. Mm-hmm. It went to twelve. Because the uniforms they were wearing, the Jets don't win in those uniforms. So Vegas looked at the laundry that the Jets were wearing and said, this is going to be another point to Buffalo. Hmm. It was it was a very weird week for that, that stuff. That is a very strange conclusion, um, yeah. But I think the Jets set themselves apart as one of the NFL's best defenses on yeah, Sunday. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, we have two cornerbacks. Uh, one is 25, one is 22, and they uh, – um, uh, locked down uh, the wide receivers for Buffalo. Yeah, uh, Stefan Diggs did not have a catch in the second half. Uh, we sacked Josh Josh Allen. Oh. I almost said Wilson. <laughs> He's a pastor. <laughs> My goodness, we we are not attacking any Ashland pastors today. No, I um, hope not. Uh, we sacked Josh Josh Allen five times. He's been sacked ten times all season. Okay. So um, and. It looks like we may have knocked uh, Allen out. Yeah, he's, saw, he's got an elbow some issue. Some sort of elbow issue. I think there's supposed to be more information released later today after he gets examined. Um, Zach Wilson played good enough. He, uh, I, I think he's now realized, at least I'm hoping he's realized, he doesn't need to play hero ball out there on the mm-hmm. field. That yeah. defense is good enough that he, if he can put up 12 to 24 points in a game, yeah. they're going to win most of those games because mm-hmm. the defense is just that good. Uh, and he's got a good connection with Garrett Wilson. Yeah, he needs to throw the ball to him more. He's still not getting enough targets in my estimation. Garrett, Garrett Wilson's not getting enough targets. He caught eight of nine targets this last week for 92 yards, I believe. Um, so we were well pleased. And then I, I think we came into that final drive where we went down and kicked the game-winning field goal. Mm-hmm. I think it was six minutes on the clock or something like that. We were expecting, or me, the fan, was expecting, okay, we're going to throw the ball a lot because we've got to get down the field in a hurry. They couldn't stop the run. Yeah. So it was 12 yards, 15 yards, 7 yards. I mean, just huge chunks on runs yeah. uh, that the Bills' defense just could not stop. And, and I think they were worn out. Yeah. So 
yeah, I think the Jets showed that, you know, they're that they're a real football team and that mm-hmm. they're a real playoff contender this year. So their record now is what? Six and three. Okay. And are they still in second place or are they tied now for first with Buffalo? Uh, I believe they are still in second place. Buffalo has already had their bye, and so they're only six and two. Okay. So they have a slightly better winning percentage. Gotcha. Now, of course, the Jets will still have to go to Buffalo. Yes. Later in the season. Yep. And um, so we have a bye this week, the Patriots, and then the Bills again. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, we're in second place, a half game behind. Yeah. I mean, do you know of any Jets fans? No, no one predicted this. Who anticipated anything like this? For the season or this week? For the season. For no. the season. No. I think I – what did I predict? Eight or nine wins? I, I can't remember if you went eight and nine or nine and eight. I think you went eight and nine. I yeah. think you went a game under 500. Yeah. And and you said you would have been satisfied with I would have, as progress. Oh, yeah. I'm pleased. <laughs> I'm real <laughs> pleased right now. This, yeah. is, this has been great. Okay. Uh, I – yeah. Yeah. I think it's been – I mean the defensive line is amazing. Mm-hmm. Five sacks on you know uh, the largest human on the planet is 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 good. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, elsewhere in the NFL, um, breaking news: Justin Fields actually might be pretty good if you actually design an offense around his talents, yeah. as opposed to force him to do things that are not in his sweet spot. Well, did you? Miami won that game. They did. Thirty-five, thirty-two. Mm-hmm. But did you see the coach, the Miami coach's press conference mm-hmm. after the game? They had him. Uh, they said you yelled something at Justin Fields on the uh, during the game. What was it? He goes, honestly, I just yelled at him to stop running the ball. <laughs> he didn't listen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Justin Fields set an NFL single-game rushing record for a quarterback with one hundred and seventy-eight yards. And also, th- including and including one of those was like a sixty-one yard touchdown run. And he also threw three touchdown passes and no picks. That's great. That's a terrific day. But um, again, what it just shows is if you design an offense around your talent instead of saying, "Well, here's my offense," yeah, you have to fit try into to squeeze it. into it. That's like, right. Like that's what just drives me crazy. So uh, give some credit to this current Bears coaching – last year's Bears coaching staff. Like they just – they tried to squeeze Justin – and even the beginning of this year. Tried to make him a pocket passer. They tried passer. to make him just kind of purely a pocket passer. And he's good in the pocket, but that just takes away a massive part of his skill set. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to defend. I mean look – if they could just model themselves after what the Ravens do. Mm-hmm. Where you're not expecting Lamar Jackson to necessarily light you up for 350, 400 yards just by standing back in the pocket and picking apart zone defenses or hitting tight window throws. That's just not Lamar Jackson's game. But the fact that he's such a dynamic athlete, you have to respect his running ability and that changes how you play defense. Sure. And that opens up some of those better throwing opportunities. Now, the drawback of that is those quarterbacks can get hit and injured more easily than, say – uh, a pocket passer like a Josh Allen That's or, true. or something like that. That's and true. so it's even a bit the, of – Even the Bills are doing design QB runs with Josh Allen. Well, yeah, but their quarterback's 260 pounds. 
Justin Fields is like 230. Is he really? He's a big dude. He's like 6'4". Hmm. That's bigger than I expected. 6'4", 230, I think. I, I was expecting him to be 6'1", and like... Oh, no, no, no. Around 200 pounds. No. He's 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 thicker than you might think. And and he... Again, all it takes is one terrible hit, and sure. it's all over for anybody, really. Sure. I mean, we saw that with Josh Allen this week, right? Yeah. I mean, he got hit on the elbow, and all of a sudden, yeah. it looks like he might be out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So... Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm again. I'm not a Bears fan, but I I'm excited for Justin Fields to do well, um, and so glad to see that. Uh, we should wrap up the sports stuff here. The World Series is over. The, uh, yeah. the the known cheaters have won again. Yeah, not that we know that this particular team was cheating, but their franchise obviously has a history of this. The Houston Astros. Well, the last World Series they won, some players on this team were involved in cheating. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. they won that in six. I'm happy uh, Dusty Baker's their manager. I don't think Dusty yes. has ever won a championship. Or that's his first, yeah. And so, uh, good for Dusty. I like Dusty. He came in to clean things up after, yeah. the The former coach, who's now with Detroit, I believe, left. Okay. So that puts a bow on the baseball season. The NBA season is underway. Uh, my son Jake wanted me to mention the Cavs are eight and two to start the year. Okay. So they're off to a very good start. Yeah. Don, yeah, the Donovan Mitchell trade is working out so far for them. Well, yeah, yep, yep. I like Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, a lot. So yeah, we'll see where that goes. Again, I think um, when do you start paying attention to the NBA? Probably in the new year. Okay, so January. Yeah, probably in the new year, maybe February. But yeah, usually in the new year. Uh, usually Christmas Day is when I. All right, I'm going to try to watch a game if possible. And well, there's like five of them on, mm-hmm. isn't there? Like, I think they they start at noon, and the last one tips at like ten thirty at night. Yeah, on the West Coast. Yeah, I keep track of scores right now, but yeah. I, I don't seek out games or anything like so that. So, how I have no concept of how the Knicks are doing. They're uh, over five hundred. Okay, so they're they're playing okay. All right. Yeah, I just over five hundred, I believe. Okay. If my phone app will, will yeah, load. Yeah, well, that's all right. We should probably move on anyway. Okay, Ready let's move? do it. Let's, okay, let's move on. So today we continue our series on miracles. Sweet. We are uh, – this is part three. And uh, today we're doing uh, – and again, these are semi-artificial categories. But we're doing Jesus' nature miracles today and we're lumping in the we're including food and drink within that we had originally talked about having a separate uh episode on that but we're just going to include them in terms of the nature and it makes sense i mean when you look at what he, it, it's it is in a sense it's nature tr- yeah it's yeah. transcending the normal operations of nature mm-hmm. when you convert water to wine or when you you know take uh two loaves of our however not blanking how many loaves there are five loaves and two fish something like that yeah and, and feed five thousand people yep. there's clearly something there's a few that went to a supernatural lot supernatural yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah all right so um, when it comes to the food and drink miracles uh, the two probably the most prominent ones you've got uh, Jesus turning water to wine and then the feeding of the five thousand and then nature miracles when you've got Jesus walking on water. Uh, as well as stilling the storm. Those are a couple of the notable ones as well. So, Yeah. Walking, uh, excuse me, water into wine is always an interesting miracle to me. Mm -hmm. It's only recorded in John's gospel. Yep. Uh, It seems to be one of his earliest miracles. 
And I think it's also compounded by the fact that his mother's there. Yes. Right? When she's just like, Jesus, do this, you know? Um, <laughs> like he's done it before or, or something, you know? Well, it's, it's interesting uh, because the way the – this is John 2, uh, 1 through – what is it, like 12 or 13 there, I think. Uh, what's fascinating is they run out of wine at this wedding feast and Mary approaches Jesus and she doesn't ask him to do anything. She just says they have no wine. It's a statement. It's not a question. Yeah. It's a statement. But Jesus clearly understands that it's a statement that's asking you to do something. Just like if your spouse says, the grass is getting long. What she's saying is, go mow the yard. Mm-hmm. She's, not, she's not merely making a factual observation that she expects you to do nothing with. I think it's a similar dynamic here of she's saying they have no wine. And Jesus clearly gets <laughs> the the hint. With some dramatic eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, so what is it that fascinates you in particular about this miracle? Well, I, I think it's interesting that it's, it's only recorded in John's gospel. Yep. That, I think that's one of the things that fascinates me about yeah. uh, this miracle. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm also fascinated by the reflection of the people that – uh, and I and I wonder if this speaks into a eschatological category, or anything like that. Like, oh, you saved the greatest wine for last. Mm-hmm. You know, this is at a wedding. Yep. In uh, eschatological, eschatologically speaking, yep. That's talked about in wedding terms. Yeah. Uh, there's a feast. There's wine, and they've saved the the greatest wine for last. Do you do you see that as sort of like a an eschatological reality that that the best is yet to come, so to speak? Yeah, I think um, I do think that the that that statement is absolutely uh, sort of loaded with eschatological significance, and I think when you understand the sort of biblical theological background of the of 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 weddings mm-hmm. and how the Old Testament talks about God's relationship with His people as a wedding or as a marriage. And then when you look at some of these descriptions like in Isaiah 25 where um, one of the images of what the new creation is going to be like is this imagery of the hills will drip sweet wine Mm -hmm. and there will be a feast. And so all of that kind of comes together I think to in this context help explain why this is his first miracle and the way that John frames it. Uh, when John finishes telling the story, he says, this is the first of the signs that mm-hmm. he did. And that's a key term in John's gospel of sort of, yes, Jesus does a lot of miracles, but there are these particular ones that are especially significant for helping you understand who Jesus is. And I'm going to signal them out by going, this is a sign. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, and, you know, there's even imagery there, you know, in that miracle of, it's noted, oh, there are these six water jars there that are used for the customs of the purification and that sort of thing. And they're initially empty. They have to be filled with water. And then Jesus transforms them. I think there's uh, significance there in terms of Jesus being the uh, the reality of what the Old Testament law 
pointed to but could not mm. actually accomplish in terms of true cleansing. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, later on in Jesus' ministry, he makes it clear that he is the bridegroom of God's people. And do you think with the wine there, there's a there's a little future homage to uh, communion, to uh, the Lord's Supper? I... <laughs> I had a student ask me this the other day, a while ago. Actually, not ask me, but assert it. Oh, really? Pretty aggressively, actually. Was, Interesting. Yeah. That 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 was the that, case. Yeah, that it's absolutely there, and that it's really important about to understand that passage. That basically, it's a picture of commun- of of the the Lord's table. When people do that, when people assert things very aggressively, my first response is just to disagree with them. <laughs> I don't know why that is. That's probably not good. But yes, yes. I, I'm aware of this feature of your personality. <laughs> Um, yes. So, uh, I, I don't, I mean, I don't see that there. Okay. I see, I mean, only by great extension. I, I, I'm more inclined to see the wine as a reference to blood and his death and what's necessary in order to accomplish and bring Mm. into existence the new creation. Um, because I, I think, now I see it much more clearly in John 6, Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to miss sure. those realities when you get to John 6, um, which we can jump to because that's another food miracle with Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then in the aftermath the next day in his conversation with the uh, with the Jewish leaders and such that he goes into the whole bread of life discourse and um, – you know, he basically in that says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think the primary reference is the Lord's Supper. I think the primary reference is unless you feast on Jesus, unless you trust in him, unless you delight sure. in him, you won't have life. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, the Lord's table is a – remembrance of that and a visual picture of that. So I think just seeing it directly is, oh, that's straight to the Lord's Supper. Well, I think you got to go through a few other steps before you get there. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that feeding of the 5,000 miracle. Um, it's one of the, it's It's one of the miracles that's actually recorded in all four Gospels. And um, – there's just a lot of interesting features of that when you consider um, John goes out of his way in verse 4 to make the make the observation, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Yeah, so it's happening during Passover. Yes, yes. So now you're picking up new Exodus hmm. uh, imagery there. And, um, and then you get to the end. Yeah, five loaves, two fish. I got that right. Okay. Um, and then uh, you get to him actually performing the miracle, which it's striking. It's so understated in how it's actually described, right? So verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Hmm. So 
there's no explanation of how he does it. It's just it just happens. It just happens. Um, and then he concludes that description there with something really striking in terms of the punchline. Uh, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, notice that language again, that sign, mm-hmm. uh, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. In other words, this is the prophet greater than Moses talked about in Deuteronomy yeah. 18. And he's leading us in the promised new exodus, an even greater exodus than what um, was originally experienced by Israel. And th- then their response is even even more interesting, like, like, oh, this is the promise. I would think, where are we going, Jesus? Yeah. Like, like, let's go. Uh-huh. However, they go, uh, or verse 15 continues, perceiving then uh, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Yeah. Jesus withdrew. Yeah. They were going to make him king. Yes. Yep. Merging together. Uh, so I don't know if they if they see in that some Davidic overtones or whether they're like, well, I mean, Moses, I mean, when you think about it, Moses, Moses is never given the title king. He often he but functioned But he kind like of functioned yeah. like one. And so, um, yeah, you've got that. So that's the, you know, and all the gospel writers record that. What makes John unique is that the next day, John records this conversation that he has in the synagogue in Capernaum as they're sort of debriefing the miracle yeah. with the with the people who had seen it, with some of the Jewish leaders. And um, Jesus just starts dropping these bombs on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, him being the bread of life, uh, eating my flesh, drinking my blood. You know, they're talking about, well, I mean, Moses gave us bread in the wilderness. And and Jesus is like, uh, slow your roll. <laughs> that was God. <laughs> Moses was there, but God gave them manna in the wilderness. And so um, it's interesting how his response – his response to um, the the perceiving the crowd wants to make him king is not to be like, whoa, hey, you guys are way over-interpreting things here. Yeah. It's more of just, I don't think you really understand who I am. You're yeah. seeing what I'm doing and you're starting to work in the right categories. He's not denying that he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not greater than Moses. I'm not bringing a new exodus. It's just – yeah, you guys just don't understand what that looks like and yeah. what it's going to require for me to accomplish that new exodus. You guys have some categories that are very uh, tied to time and space here. Yeah. And and my categories blow that up. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's What's striking is, is by the end of that encounter the next day, um, as Jesus keeps ratcheting up the intensity of what he's saying – Uh, Verse 66 here. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So this is a day after a lot of these people thinking, we're going to make him king. He's the prophet greater than Moses. And now they're walking away. And and Jesus said to the 12, uh, do you want to go away as well? And this is one of my favorite things that, that Peter says in all the gospels. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And what I love about that response is I, 
I don't think Peter got it in terms of like – I don't think he was much more advanced beyond the crowds in terms of like having the right understanding of who Jesus is yeah. and how it's going to work out and all that. But I love that he – his response is – I'm all in with you, Jesus. I may not understand all this, but I am all in. And I think that's a great picture even for us Oh yeah, in the Christian life of, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing this or how you're doing this, but I have nowhere else to go. And I trust you that you are indeed the one who can uh, deliver on what you say. Now, uh, w- one of the features of John uh, that I find so interesting in John chapter 6 is we keep mentioning – Yep, Jesus fed the 5,000 the next day, the next day. Mm-hmm. Something happened that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just kind of jumped over the fact that in between, Jesus walks on water. Now, in your sense, is that is that uh, to clarify his deity for, for the reader? Is that to say, like, you may be expecting a human-to-be-prophet king, mm-hmm. uh, but let me, let me show you a feature of Jesus that's just so outlandish. <laughs> <laughs> that he doesn't fit those categories. Is that is that sort of the idea you think that John's well, getting I, at? I think there's certainly an emphasis on um, on his deity in this text, especially uh, when you look at um, when he approaches. So he's he's walking out on the water, and the disciples are understandably uh, frightened. That's verse um, eighteen, nineteen. That's verse nineteen, and then Jesus says to them. It is I, do not be afraid. Or wooden, more woodenly, it's I am. Hmm. It's an I am statement essentially. Do not be afraid. And I think that that's a statement of his identification as he's Yahweh. Yeah. That the first thing he says to them is I am Yahweh in essence. And don't be afraid because I am with you. So um, yeah, I think – uh, you know, you could see – I actually had uh, one of our former students ask me uh, in an email, do you think that there are um, Exodus echoes here in the walking on the water? And uh, my answer was essentially to say um, by itself, I think the echoes are relatively faint. But based on the context, it's probably there. You know, when you think about um, him announcing himself as I am, don't be afraid, uh, and even just kind of seeing what else is in the context, I think there might be some of that as well. Hmm. So, so yeah, um, that's that's one of those that's one of those nature miracles where you're like, that's just not possible. Yeah. Like, Like you can't walk on water. So uh, Vern uh, – I always mispronounce his last name. Do you Poitras. Want Poitras. Yep. Uh, in his book on miracles, which we've linked in the show notes the last couple of weeks, of the walking on water miracles, he uh, goes to Job 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, Job 9, 8. Uh, this is Job speaking of God. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Yeah. Uh, so and, – and he has a couple other references in the Old Testament that – clearly identify uh, the movement on top of water, whether by horse or by foot, yeah. uh, to be connected with God himself. And I, I think John is looking back at these stories of Jesus walking on the water mm-hmm. and, and connecting it to that for us. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, we, should, we, we should probably mention one other nature miracle, him, uh, Jesus calming the storm. Yes. Recorded there in Mark 4 for, uh, for one, of the, one of the places it's mentioned. Um, you know, it is just it, – it's, it's striking. You know, you've got Jesus uh, asleep in the boat, tired after a long day of ministry. Yes. And, um, you know, the disciples are freaking out because a storm – uh, has broken out onto uh, the Sea of Galilee, which can happen very suddenly mm-hmm. because of the geography. And several of these disciples are f- seasoned fishermen who spent, you know, countless days upon days out on the sea. So they're not like people who are inexperienced. They know when it's bad. Yeah, and they know it's bad here. So it's funny, uh, they wake him up. I just kind of picture this kind of humorously as, do you want to wake him up? I'm not going to wake him up. Well, somebody's got to wake him up. Yeah. And uh, they wake him up and he he simply – he says it says, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still, which I think really is probably a little, a little softer than the language there actually is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like shut up, be quiet. Mm-hmm. Calm down, and instantly the wind stops, and there was a great calm. Which, of course, that's picking up Old Testament language of something that only Yahweh can do. Mm-hmm. That He is the one that 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 uh, controls the seas. So it's a pretty clear. And what I, probably my favorite feature of this miracle, besides that, is that uh, how how Mark concludes. The parable or, or the the miracle, uh, and they were filled with great fear. Mm-hmm. They're even more terrified after the fact. So, thinking they're going to perish in this storm on the sea, they're of course scared to death, practically. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus stops everything, and they're even more terrified in one sense of like, um. You're not really supposed to be able to do that. And there's this question of who is this guy? Like there's this like they're, – they're, they're struggling for categories to try to put together who he is and what he's doing. So I know we're running out of time, but I, I want to ask you, um, this story always reminds me of Jonah, mm-hmm. yeah. the first chapter of Jonah. Yeah. What parallels do you make between that? I mean obviously they're a very similar story. Mm-hmm. But uh, how does this help us interpret – how does Jonah help us interpret Mark 4 and how does Mark 4 help us interpret Jonah? So um, – I realize I said that with like two minutes left to talk. Right. So I think the starting point has to be that elsewhere Jesus talks about Jonah being a sign. Mm-hmm. So Jesus himself identifies the life and ministry of Jonah as a – in some way pointing forward to him. Um, he specifically focuses on just as Jonah was three days and night in the in the belly of the deep, you know, so too the Son of Man basically will. Uh, so there's that starting point that Jesus himself points to Jonah and says, you can learn something about me by looking mm-hmm. at Jonah. But this parallels Jonah 1 where Jonah's fleeing from the Lord. The sailors are in this terrible storm and – it's beautifully written because the people who come out looking good are these pagan soldiers 
Yeah. Or, uh, uh, sailors. Sailors. Yep. Soldiers. Uh, Could have been, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. perhaps. Uh, and Jonah, the supposed prophet who says, you know, basically, I serve Yahweh. And the, <laughs> they're like, a funny way of showing it there. Um he he. This prophet comes comes off looking terrible, and you notice that in that in that passage, he he doesn't jump into the sea himself. He says, "Yeah, throw me into the sea, and the sea will stop." Mm-hmm. So, um, I do think that there are parallels. Maybe of Jonah sleeping in the boat while the chaos is going on, um, but in. There's a sort of ironic reversal in the sense of you have Jesus, the obedient prophet, mm-hmm. um, who stands up and um, takes command. But he's more than a prophet because he's able to stop the storm. So, you know, you have to be careful about pressing parallels too far. But it is striking that even though this passage doesn't make this connection. Jesus, in essence, will throw himself into the deep hmm. to satisfy the wrath of God and turn it away from uh, from others. Hmm. So, so those would be a couple of connections I'd see there. Okay, we ready to move on? We do need to move on. We are running a little bit long, so um, it is time for this day in sports history. Okay, uh, so November eighth—that's today, uh, nineteen sixty-six. Uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson signs an antitrust immunity to the AFL-NFL merger. Yeah, bringing into uh, – well, that was a key step. The, they still existed separately, didn't they at that point? Because they still had the Super Bowl was the AFL against the NFL until they finally merged in like 1970 or something. Because okay. like, like the first few Super, super Bowls were the AFL champion against mm-hmm. the NFL champion. Yeah, well, the, and the Packers won the first two. Yes. And then, uh, for, like from heaven, Joe Namath won the third Super Bowl <laughs> to, to, to save that merger. Anyway, yeah. um, in 1969. Uh, 1990, Daryl Strawberry signs a five-year contract with the Dodgers. More famous for his time with the Mets. Yeah, he was pretty washed up. He was up washed by up by then. Yeah. He, his, uh, his substance abuse issues uh, at that would be. That that was oh absolutely, but he's he's cleaned up and uh, from all indications is a is a uh, helpful member of his community professes Christ now as well okay. and runs substance abuse places down in Florida does counseling yeah it, there's a thirty for thirty on Doc and Daryl there you go yeah. Doc and Daryl and Doc by contrast is still struggling is that not right yeah as far as I we mean, can tell he's still famous enough in New York that he shows up that he's asked to show up at events and occasionally the papers will catch that he has not shown up to an event that he was supposed to show up to yeah and nine times out of ten we know what that means yes uh, there's been some rumor we're getting Daryl on campus here really yeah that he may maybe in the future in a couple of years we have some relational connections to him somehow okay. I'm, not, I'm not totally sure. Uh, but I've asked for one-on-one time, and I can't tell if that's a help or a hindrance to bringing him to camp. Anyway, uh, 1994, the Cleveland Cavaliers' uh, first game at Gund Arena. Yep. Am I saying that right? Gund? Yes. And they lose to the Houston Rockets, 198. Yes. So that was – that's the new facility. New. Uh, I believe they're still in that facility, but it's gone through – Several name changes and a couple of renovations. I imagine now it is now it's the Rocket Mortgage 
arena. It used to be the Quicken Loans arena. So we're moving through the mortgage companies Absolutely. apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. A lot of people in Cleveland want mortgages apparently. I guess uh, so. 2017 Brazilian surfer Rodrigo Coxa. Did I get that right? Sure. Okay. Breaks the world record for surfing the biggest wave at 24.4 meters uh, in Portugal. Okay. That's a big wave. That's a very big wave. So we're talking like 80-foot wave there, I think. That's huge. Yeah. Dang. That's building size. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. That's a, that's a big wave. So you got a preference out of that list? I mean, the wave might just be the way to <laughs> – right? I mean, that's an 80-foot wave. I can't yeah. surf at all. Yeah, yeah. Can you surf? Have you ever surfed? Uh, no. Any desire? No. no. Have you ever tried to water ski? Uh, not ski. I've tried to like wakeboard okay. uh, and kneeboard but never never ski, water ski. Okay. Or snow ski. I've snow, I've snow skied once. Enjoyable? I did not enjoy it. Um, I was actually like decent at it. But uh, and, and I mean, the views are breathtaking. That's great. Right. But uh, it was really hard on my knees. I mean, you think about all yeah. the force oh, on yeah. your knees as you're going down uh, a mountain. Uh, that makes sense. Was not great. And I like I don't need this is an expensive hobby. Like it's not cheap to go skiing. Yeah. I don't need an expensive hobby that I'm probably going to get injured in and don't really enjoy that much. So. When I'd much prefer to be in the lodge with a book and yeah. a cup of cider or a- something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Uh, it didn't help that my brother-in-law took me on a uh, black diamond run that I was not ready for. There's a, there's a set of classifications. Oh, yeah. and oh, black yeah. diamond is like the, you know, up at the top. There's like, I think there's like a double, double black, black diamond. diamond yeah. Uh, did not appreciate that. I'm reading a book, right? A novel about this company that's trying to decide whether they're going to sell or not. And they go skiing and somebody's disappeared and all these things. So Okay. Got very much skiing on the brain right now uh, right. in Switzerland. They're in, they're in Switzerland actually doing this. Switzerland. I want to get to Switzerland. Yeah. We ready to move on? Yeah. One thing you liked? Yeah. yeah. All right. One thing you liked. Uh, I just want to plug our inauguration as a college last week. Uh, I will post uh, the link on the show notes to our YouTube page where you can watch. You can hear from David Dockery, community leaders, Drew himself. It was a great, great time uh, mm-hmm. for our college in a very exciting day. Yes. Um, Plus I, the cupcakes were delicious. I didn't have any cupcakes. I, I Big mistake. Tr- tried to exercise some self-discipline there. Big um, mistake. Yeah, well, you're probably right. I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go similarly, though I'm going to highlight out in particular that David Dockery uh, message. was very It good. was like 12 minutes. I mean, th- there were like 87 people who spoke. Right. Yeah. It, slight exaggeration. but And I think we were only like three minutes long or something so, like that. It wasn't very much. But um, his uh, charge to our new president in terms of – in essence, he didn't use this exact language, but basically uh, keeping the gospel the central thing mm-hmm. and uh, just his winsomeness and how he communicated it was remarkable. So I would I will I will echo that and, and narrow in even more particular that very good. piece especially, and he's just like he's just such a kind humble man. 
I mean, he's, he's a really big deal in the Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptist Convention and Christian higher ed yes. in general. Like yes. I, I've been in – I've somehow – this is a story for another time. I was at a president's conference, a, a Christian college president's conference somehow. <laughs> and I got pulled into a like what happens when uh, people start threatening the school and you're getting letters and calls. And this one president's up there giving his, giving his story and he just goes, my first call was David Dockery. I just called him immediately. Yeah. Um, and then he told me who, what to do and who to call. Yeah. I was like, okay. So David Dockery, Grace alum. Yes. And is, he's the kind of guy that if you bumped into him, like if you happened to sit next to him at a high school sporting event, for example, you would have no clue that yep. he's such a big deal. Yep. But he he is uh, an incredible man and uh, very, very humble, very kind, very gracious. So oh, yeah. uh, I was grateful I got – a chance to have two short, like probably five to seven minute conversations with him, one before and one after. So that would be my one thing I liked. All right. Well, we've gone longer than we normally do, John. We have talked uh, a lot of football. Uh, those Jets, man, look out. Uh, They're the real deal. It fits with our um, emphasis on miracles these last few weeks. So the uh, nature miracles of Jesus. Uh, that feels like a dig, but all right. Yeah. <laughs> Serving wine uh, at a wedding. We have talked about a Brazilian surfer, Rodrigo Coca. Coca, yeah. We surfed a really big wave. And we've talked about the inauguration of our new president. And so I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.